quote unquote making a statement about a group of people. I think that the outrage that is being shown uh, about these ads from Balenciaga. Uh, thought was for me um, in radiology. So since I hadn't been to college, I had to do all of my basics and stuff. So I did a year of that and then I got accepted into the uh, Coleman College. Hello, everybody. It is the Ascension Podcast, one more time, with Tiffany Okendo and Dr. Rick Wallace. We're here again. Uh, we're going to be continuing on and finishing off what we talked about last week. I don't know if you can really finish off the topic of trauma. Uh, I think we could talk about that for years, and we would just be scratching the surface. But we're definitely going to pick up where we left off. We're going to talk about childhood trauma. In, in, in that vein and how it impacts our lives. Um, if you haven't checked out episode one, I encourage you to do so. Uh, so uh, when we left off last week, we took a pretty good stroll around the surface of trauma and how it impacts. I think you have done an unbelievable job of walking people through your own life and revealing how trauma moves, how it operates, how it impacts parenting, how it impacts how you move in the world, how it impacts your uh, romantic relationships. And it, 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 it shows itself in almost every way uh, imaginable. And for most people don't even recognize it as the manifestation of our trauma. We just, I've, I've seen trauma uh, categorized as culture. No, that's just how we are. Right. You know, uh, and, 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 you know, and it's, you know, black women are just naturally aggressive and, 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 and hostile. Well, maybe black women have been hurt more. Maybe black men, women have a heritage and history of being oppressed, mishandled, misused, raped, molested, and we can go down the line. Black men are just naturally more violent. Maybe black men are responding from their childhood trauma. So we're going to talk about that. So I guess you can take it. I'm going to I'm going to ask one question and then you can take it where you want to take it. What drives your passion to be a catalyst for healing? when it comes to trauma? Good question. Uh, of course I would. <laughs> <laughs> of course you would. Um, I'm just very passionate in helping others get to where they think they can't get to when they, when they definitely can. Um, my own life drives me. My, my, a lot of people, when they ask, what is your motivation? What, I'm my own motivation. I motivate myself because I, I know that when I can get into that dark space 
Um, and it's okay. And I always want to tell people it's okay to get into that dark space because sometimes we need that. Um, we need to get into the dark space so that we can feel it and move through it. Um, but when you're get, when you're there, there's if with me, it's just something in me to where it motivates me to get up and 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 go. Um, I'm not going to sit here and dwell on the bad or what happened or what ifs or you know the stuff like that. I, what what can I what can I do right now? What is the solution I can do right now to get myself from point A to point B? And um, so I, I, I see other people's lives and I, and I, and the thing is, I, I have a lot of experience with, with, with trauma. So when I see other people, I can, um, I can resonate with a lot of the pain that others go through. And it just drives that passion for me to want to help them get them to where I see, where I know they can be. And that's, and that's, and, and with me that I'm that type of person where I can encounter someone and I see their potential right off the bat. Like I know who they are, where they can be, but they don't see it. Right. Um, so that's what drives my passion because it's like, look, do you understand who you can be, what you can be? Um, and we're we're all divine, we're all divine beings. Like we're we are in the essence of the divine. So there's nothing that we cannot do, that we cannot be. There's nothing. We're our own limitations. We set our own limitations upon ourselves. So once we understand that, we can remove that. And then there's no heights. There's no there's no limits to where you can go when you can take yourself. Right. So, yeah. And, you know, I often say this when I'm lecturing or even when I'm doing uh, promotional videos or, you know, content videos, I often say that the only limitations you have are the one you have with your mind um, that we don't. I think one of the biggest concerns that I I have and I see is just how few people understand the power of our minds. And when I when I talk about the power of our minds, I'm talking uh, with a sense of neutrality. I'm talking about to harm us or help us. And we're influencing our lives with our thoughts with our perceptions, with our perceived limitations, with the idea. So many people have lived a lot of poverty because they accepted the idea that poverty was their lot in life. They bought into a notion or idea that was suggestive from a young age. You look and everybody in your family has, this is what their life has been. And so there's a natural conclusion that can be drawn from that. Well, this is who I am. And if you never explore outside of that box, it becomes a belief. And people have these beliefs. And then these beliefs become so emphatically ingrained in how we move, how we think, how we operate, that on a subconscious level, they're moving us toward the very thing we say we despise, we hate, we just loathe. And we keep living it over and over again. And we keep practicing at a level that just intensifies the hold. Right. And so when I look at what you are able to accomplish by undressing, the beliefs, undressing the perception, the framing, taking it all out and saying, okay, what's actually there? You know, and then saying, that's not good. That's not good. And then having the understanding that, well, if it's not good, I don't have to accept it. You know, a part of a meditation, and then I want you to elaborate on how you do it. A part of the meditation that I do every morning is that I have the ability that 
you know, as a psychologist, I understand that the average person has about 70,000 thoughts that moves beneath the surface every day that they're unaware of. And certain ones come up to the surface, they entertain them. And, but there are 70,000 thoughts, many of them the same every day, but these thoughts occur. But what happens is when you understand that and you understand, again, you mentioned the divine, it's so important to understand divine nature, divine awareness and self as it pertains to the most high and how you exist in this world. Because a lot of the things we fear, we fear because we take on a finite 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 mindset. One of the things that totally liberated me was the idea that I exist and I always have and I always will. And this is just simply one state and phase that I'm existing in. And therefore, uh, I can live it to the fullest because there's no end. Now, uh, some people might take that in the wrong perspective. Say, you know what? Well, I got plenty of time. No, the time on this earth is limited and there's a purpose for you being here. And you need to fulfill that. But one of the things that I acknowledge is that all these thoughts that cascade across my mind, that which I accept becomes a part of my reality, but that which I reject will never touch me. And so it's in deciding what I'll accept that determines my level of force, my level of power, my level of freedom, my level of health, and so much more. So how is it that you first with yourself and then with those people you encounter who you are intent on helping. How does that process look for you to where you go from that traumatized kid, that traumatized little girl to this woman who is moving in the freedom of her aware self-awareness? And how do you get other people there? Well, I think you just kind of stated it right there. It's self-awareness. That's where it starts. Because um, a lot of us lose who we are. We don't know who we are. We're, we are who um, the people or the people that we grew up with or we're surrounded by in our environment that have told us who we were. And, uh, you know, unconsciously, we accepted that um, unknowingly, whether we liked it or not. Um, we took that on. And that is what I think the first start of it is knowing who you are and who you're not. Um, and that's where my, that's where my personal journey started. Um, as, as far as self-awareness, it happened maybe a decade ago, 10 years ago of me um, just waking up one day and uncovering a lot of things about myself. And, and what, one thing I do want to tell people when, when that self-awareness does kick in, um, you you will you will be traveling a different path and a, and a lot of people will fall away just because of the stuff that you are uncovering with yourself because you are no longer that person they see you as so um it could be a lonely road but um that 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 soon goes away but i mean that's where i started so um self-awareness um addressing the things that you dislike about yourself um the things that may be not only toxic to you, but other people uh, and, and really just facing who you are. Um, so self-awareness is key. Um, after you come into self-awareness, which, which is what I did, I started moving differently. I started doing things differently. Um, acceptance is the second part, accepting that this is your path and I am going to walk this. Um, 
And at the time, I didn't know why. And, 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 that's, not, and that's normal, too. You don't understand why you're feeling these things. You don't understand why you are the odd one or the black sheep that they may call these people. Um, and, it, and it gets, you know, it gets um, a little upsetting, but, but you accept it. Um, and, and I felt that, that that was my calling. So and I, and I kept walking with it. And my family, uh, you know, was, was very uh, cold to me at one point. Um, I had, I had sisters that I was close with and, and, um, they were distant when I started going through this self-awareness and figuring out who I was and not doing the same things I used to do with them. Um, you know, you get talked about, you, you, you get, you get ridiculed and criticized and you just roll with the punches. I roll with the, I roll with the punches. So, <laughs> um, it's hard at first, but you get through it. I have a, t- I have really tough skin, so, um, you get through it. Uh, then, then you just, then you just start, you know, living your new life, doing the things you're living for you. You're not living for anyone else anymore. Now, a lot of us, we live for other people. We do things and we people please our life through, uh, th- through our life. We people please our way unknowingly. So a lot of times until you realize that's what you're doing, you're, you're making everybody else feel okay. And, and, but you're not really feeling okay. You're just, you're, you're just going through the motions because you're not trying to ruffle anybody else's feathers. Right. Um, so yeah, so that was my process: self-awareness, acceptance, and change. Just changing who I was, even if I was uncomfortable. But that's the thing—you have to get uncomfortable, right? Because without without uh, you know the uncomfortable feeling, you're not growing. You're not you're not evolving. You're just staying the same person. You're staying who you really are. So I, you know, you got to get uncomfortable. You got to you got to do things that you didn't do before. Um, and you incorporate those those things in your way of life. Um, and that's basically how I start other people when I speak to them. Um, even when they come to me and ask me, you know, what do they think they're, what, what, you know, just advice on what do, um, you know, I think they're doing wrong. And it's not so much wrong. It's what do you feel? Because you, you're coming to me asking me because you really, you know, there's something off. So what can you do to get yourself aligned on the path that you're supposed to be aligned with doing? So you just break it down to them in little pieces like that, um, and you know, just step by step. Uh, and then, and then, and then, I'm very, I'm a spiritual person, so I, I, I can never um, separate myself from the divine and the spirit, the, the spiritual aspect of this self awareness and and new way of life. Because I think a lot of us, we all, as you know, in the black community, we all, we all have the spirituality innately in us we we all we all have that right but i think we get so far removed from actual spirituality um and and it gets tied up into this religion and and robotic man-made stuff but um once we step away from that and get into the real you know essence of the divine which is all around you and within you you understand that you know it's in you it's you. So right. you have to make it happen. Right. Um, and, you know, there are a lot of different terms used for what you're speaking of in that nature. You know, the law of attraction, the law of manifestation, right. the law of reciprocity and so many things. But in essence, what it's saying is that there is a reason you have an imagination. Now, the, the thing is that I noticed with our culture is we tend to literally suffocate imagination in our children right around the time they're getting ready to go to school. Why? We don't want them sitting in school spaced out. 
We don't want them talking about their weird ideas and, and embarrassing us. Right. <laughs> so we tell them, stop daydreaming, get your head out the clouds. <laughs> we start telling them little sentences that shape the framing of what they expect in this world. Like that's not realistic. You probably shouldn't. And, and on this, and you mentioned uh, that a lot of these beliefs come early in life from those around us and in, in the concept of Visionetics, when I created Visionetics, uh, it was about self-image because your self-image is going to literally be the catalyst from your behavior. How you see yourself in the world, what you what you see, how you see yourself in the world and the world responding to you, how you feel you can impact the world is going to determine the, the depth, the length and the breadth of what you're willing to try. So what I realized is that people's self-image is highly impacted by what I call label givers. And label givers are first primary label givers. The most primary are obviously parents. They have the most authoritative and the most intensive uh, access to you in the most de developmental times. And then secondary primaries are teachers in, in very religious families, clergy. And then you start to move into secondary influences, peers. And then everybody's telling you who you are and in rare cases, there's this kid, no matter what you tell them about themselves, they know. Right. And you can't shake them. And you go and you start calling them black sheep. You start calling them weird. You start calling my little special kid. Every <laughs> little thing to, to make you feel comfortable about the fact that they won't comply right. Right. to the norm. And then, but most kids are literally going to accept what we call reflected appraisals, the the appraisal of who you are from someone else. It's reflected back on you and you receive it. And then once you receive it, your behavior, that's why I tell stop telling the kid they're dumb. Stop telling them right. they're stupid. Stop telling them that you're going to be like their trifling daddy. Stop telling them all these different things because if they accept it, their behavior has to align with it. That's how they maintain their sanity. Right. So in essence, if I want to free you, then I have to go back and reconstruct your self-image. I have to go back, break that down and say, you know, when they told you this, it wasn't true. You know, when this happened, that wasn't the limit. And the idea is to open up. And, and if we're honest with ourselves, even after we discover ourselves, there's still limits. Mm -hmm. We haven't pushed them yet. Right. But we're on our way. And if and, 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 and as I have observed you, you keep pushing it. And mm -hmm. it sort of reminds me of me. It's like. Every day I wake up and find something I'm not supposed to be able to do. Right. And OK, watch me. And so <laughs> it's constantly and it's I, and, and, you know, and I say. At some point there's a person that's going to realize that they defy all the laws of the universe. They defy gravity. And everything else, it's so ingrained in us that if it's a scientific principle, it cannot be denied. So we've already accepted we can't do it. Right. But I've been in some places in the world where I saw stuff that I'm sitting there going, that didn't just happen. And I go, it did just happen. And even in, in America, you got to think, I, I always use this because to me, it was the most absurd idea at the time. You know, I, I often say, I wonder what Orville and Wilbur were drinking when they sit up and said, you know what? I think we're going to make a machine that can fly. Right. You know what, Wilbur? Let's do it. And I, when I think of it, I jump to the 1980s. In the 1980s, that was, I think it was the 1980s. 1980s. 
Keanu Reeves, and I can't remember, but it was this this movie called Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Mm-hmm. They're just going out doing crazy stuff, and I I jump and I think and I think that's the energy that Orville and Wilbur had. Just you know, throw everything up in there. We're gonna do it. Right. Can you imagine the people around them telling them how stupid they were? Yeah. You know that's impossible. I mean that's beyond impossible. And and, and now you talk you go from that to someone saying it's impossible and it being someone's imagination to now where people every day board millions of planes made out of metal with tons of baggage and and thousands of pounds of passenger weight and expect that plane to get off the ground with no problem and take them where they're going without a second thought. And what's the difference? Somebody turned the impossible into the possible. Then it, it, once it becomes, it no longer becomes impossible. People start to do it. One more example, and then we're going to move move on. One more example is Roger Bannister. Me being a track and field athlete, this really registers register uh, registers with me. Uh, Roger Bannister um, did something that was supposedly impossible. Up until 1954, it was believed that it was absolutely impossible for a human to run the mile in under four minutes. It was called the four the four minute uh, barrier. You can't do it. And then there was this other asinine, crazy idea attached to that belief. The in the asinine uh, sort of addendum to it was, look, if you happen to be able to figure out how to run the mile in under a minute, you won't even live to celebrate it because your heart will explode. So you can't run it under four, but if you do, you're going to die. And so when I'm examining it, I'm thinking, how many people before Roger Bannister were on a pace to run the mile in under four minutes, realized it, and choked back? Right. Out of fear. How many of us don't do what we should be and could be doing out of fear? That was the first thing. The second thing was when he did it, two things came out of my study of it. The first thing was they asked him, how did you train? What did you eat? All of these different things that they're thinking he adjusted. His response blew my mind and and it has been a catalyst in my studies. He said, I didn't change anything. I just ran it 1000 times in my mind. Mm -hmm. And the beauty of it is that your mind cannot distinguish between what you imagine and what's actually happening. So his mind said, we've already done this. So here we go. We're going to go do it 1001 and that. But here's the other thing that blew my mind. Up until that point, nobody had did it. In the next two years, 2,000 people did it. Simply by now knowing it was possible. So when I when I look at people like ourselves and I, I look at you, we're the people who tell people it's possible. We're the ones that sit up and say, you're not stuck there. That's not your lot in life. You can do things beyond astronomically beyond what you've ever imagined. And even if you're talking from a religious perspective, when you get past all of the rigidity, uh, rigidity and politics in religion, and you look at the principles and context of scripture, it says, you know, uh, able to do abundantly and exceedingly above all you ask or even imagine. Yes. And that's the, that's the, and the thing is, it's not waiting on God to do it. It's 
actualizing and activating the God in you right. to do it. Right. And that's what people are missing it. They're waiting on some person in a seat in a throne somewhere. <laughs> yeah. I don't know where, but <laughs> way off somewhere to pop up and go, okay, I finally got your message. Right. What, what is it? You know, <laughs> no. The, it's in your DNA. They've gotten the message already. It was already received. You just weren't right. acting. The moment you thought it, it, it right. was there. Matter of fact, the thought wasn't an initial or uh, it wasn't an initial created thought. It was something you pulled out of the conscious mind. Right. Thought. Everything always already exists. Right. Everything that will ever come already exists. It's just who will be close enough in divine presence to pull it. The periodic table was created in a dream. I mean, all of this stuff comes, but we shrink ourselves and then in the theme of what we're talking about, we're talking about trauma. Trauma just shrinks the world more. It shrinks it to our yeah. horrifying and terrifying experiences. It frightens us from moving in the fullness of who we are. It shrinks us to a place where the last thing we want to do is experience the pain at that level again. So we don't do anything that might slightly resemble pain. So you have had this journey you talk about 10 years ago and and i told you i said i started observing you roughly around that time and and i watched you and it was obvious you were going through a journey and i watched you move in different areas of your life and and, and i watched it simultaneously and i could see the the level of confidence change and it wasn't spoken as much as just how you behaved and then you got to a point to where you were really confident enough now I'm going to help others heal as I heal. Not when I heal. Right. Because this is an ongoing process. Right. Healing is ongoing. Yeah. So, but now I'm at a place where I'm going to bring some people with me. And I watched that on Authentically Tiffany on Instagram and, 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 and YouTube. And I'm going, okay, this is the same young woman back in 2013 and 2014. Wow. And so here we are. And so... What would you say to a young lady or a young man mm -hmm. that was molested as a child, was beaten as a child, was dealing with absentee parents, mother or father, uh, that was bullied in school, that just was constantly told through the way they were treated that they didn't matter and they accepted it. So now they accept treatment from adults that isn't reflective of who they really are. What would be your message to them? Well, uh, as a as a woman who's experienced that as a child, that um, you know, just abuse in in general. Uh, I was told all those things as well, just um, which which I believed about myself as a child which had me um, very shy. I've always been a, uh, I've always wanted to speak. Um, I always felt like I couldn't speak. Um, as a child, when I did want to voice my opinion or speak out about what I didn't like or how I was being treated, um, I, was, I was the child that I was told to, you know, shut up, be quiet. Um, you know, uh, 
I don't want to go too much into it, but you know, I, 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 I was, my voice was taken away. So I was afraid to speak up. Um, and that carried on into adulthood, um, afraid to speak up and just take what was given to me or take what was told to me. Um, but in return, I would always not, I can't even find the word for it, but it's when you, you shut down. I shut down and it was to the point where I, it literally, if somebody spoke to me and I was angry, it was like a brick wall. Like I would not respond. Um, and that was, I wanted to respond, but I didn't know, I didn't have the words to respond. I was afraid to respond to. Um, so as a woman coming from that type of trauma and believing all of that stuff about me, um, when I came out of that, I realized I was everything opposite of everything that I had been told um, and believed about myself. So, so looking at someone else in that predicament or in that state of, of mentality, um, I've told I've actually told um, several people that I know that have gone through that that it is not they don't believe that about themselves. Truly, deep down. You don't believe that about yourself and you hate that you that you're taking that on. You had to carry that burden for so long and you hate carrying that burden. It's OK to put it down. It's OK to to go against the go against everything that everyone has told you and made you believe about yourself because it's not true. From a person that's looking on the outside, looking at you or looking at that person how I would tell them is you are everything opposite of what, the, what anyone has ever told you. And I usually use a journal. Um, I, that's how I started my mind for myself. And I always tell the people, get a journal, even if you're not a writer, but write down everything because nobody doesn't have to look at it or see it. Write down everything that anyone has ever told you. Write down the things that all the bad things that you that you believe or believe that you are. Write it down and, and look at it and ask yourself, do you believe that? And what do you see yourself? What do you want to be? Because that's who you truly are. Um, and that's how I started with my own self. I started writing down everything about myself. And I looked at it and, and I just was like, this is, this is unacceptable. <laughs> like, I don't even believe this. I know who I am. And I've sat here and I let these people tell me this is who I am. Um, but they, you are not the projections that other people have projected onto you because everything that you believe about yourself that other people have told you is exactly how those people feel about themselves. Mm -hmm. It wasn't, it wasn't you, it was them. Cause like I said, we all are working through our own trauma. Mm -hmm. A lot of people who have grown up in my shoes, same thing as experiencing abuse, experience the same thing when they were, were, were children or smaller. This is just all trauma passed down. So all of this that they said to you is everything they believe about themselves, which literally isn't even true about them because they they received it from their 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 parents or grandparents going through the same thing. So these are all false illusions that they have projected onto you. So who are you really before all of this, before all of this? Go back to your most happiest time, your your most memorable, memorable happiest time, and that's who who were you there? Who did you who did you see yourself becoming? 
Right. I, I took myself there. I took my, I was like, who, who was I and who did I see myself becoming? And then I, I wrote it down and you write down these things, you see the negatives and you see the positives. And then you're like, that isn't me. Take a lighter to it. Take a lighter and burn it. <laughs> Take burn that into the, into the stratosphere and say, this is not me. This is who right. I am. And then you, and then you look at all the positive aspects about yourself and you, you work on that. You go, and that's how I did myself. I literally say that. And, he, and I, to this day, I do that. I wake up and I tell myself who I am in the mirror. This is who I am. Right. I, you know, I, uh, I do it a little di differently, but I do. I do it every day. I wake up and I establish, number one, that I'm going to start my day with gratitude. Number two, uh, that I am absolutely in control of my destiny. I don't control everything that goes around me but I definitely control how I engage it, what I expect to come out of it and how well I expect to uh, negotiate and navigate. And so it's an understanding at the, end of the, at the end of the day that no matter what I face, I'm built for it. And that's the thing I do tell myself in the mirror, uh, especially in those times when it's really, really intense and I'm going through something and the little uh, whispers of negativity start to creep in. This one's got you. You, you're not going to survive. And how are you going to get out of this? And, you know, come on, genius. Here you go. What do you, you know, in those. And, and so what I do is I, 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 in those moments where I feel that anxiety starting to come up, I go immediately go to the restroom uh, where the nearest mirror is. And I look at myself in the mirror and I say, you're built for this. I don't, I don't have to know what the answer is. I know I have access to it. I know it's on the way yeah. and that it's actually within. And the moment that I stop panicking, I'll see it. Right. That it's literally the anxiety, the panic, the fear that's hiding the breakthrough. And so when I sit up and I, I'm like, hello, you're built for this. I can't tell you how many times people are counting me out. And I look in the mirror and say, no, you're built for this. If I'm still breathing, I'm still in the fight. So if I'm still in the fight, I'm going to win. Mm -hmm. I am never going to be a person that accepts defeat. Yeah. You're going to have to beat me. Yeah. And then if you beat me, you're going to have to beat me again. <laughs> and, and, and you're going to have to keep beating me until I die or I win. <laughs> and, 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 and either way, I'm okay. But what you will not say is I quit. Right. And so, and I remember Will Smith talking about, you know, why he's successful and, and he, 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 I like the way he put it. He says, if you're honest with me, if I'm honest about my success, I'm not exceptionally great at any one thing. I'm good at a lot of stuff, but I'm not exceptionally great. He says, Denzel is a much more powerful actor than I am. Eddie Murphy is way more funnier than I am. Martin is funnier than I am. And he's just talking about people that everything that he's known for, that somebody that does that particular thing so much better than he does, but he happens to do it good. And he says, but you know where I excel? He says, absolute, crazy, ridiculous work ethic. He says, here's how it looks. If you put me on a treadmill next to someone else and only one of us can win, that person is either getting off that treadmill or I'm dying on mine. <laughs> and that is life. Look, uh, one of my favorite lines in a movie and I'm not going to go too deep off into the framing of the movie. You'll have to watch it. But it is a movie called Lawless. Uh, and it's with uh, 
Shea LeBeau, uh, God, Tom Hardy, and I forget the other guy's name. And they're brothers. They're moonshiners in the 1930s. It's mm -hmm. a true story. And the two older brothers are just straight killers. I mean, violent killers. Their, their, their reputation precedes them everywhere in Virginia and Tennessee, Mount, Kentucky Mountains and, and everything. And he's the, Shel LeBeau is the younger brother. He's smart, but he's never had that killer instinct. But he gets caught up in this corrupt cop versus moonshiners mm -hmm. feud that's going on. And he his cousin gets killed and he gets beat within an inch of his life. And they're sitting in this bar that the brothers own. And the, the, the toughest of the brothers is the middle brother named Forrest. And he's sitting at the end of the bar. Shell's sitting at one end of the bar. And he asks him, so what are you going to do? And he looks at him. He says, I'm not like you and Howard. I don't have that violence. I don't know how to retaliate. He gets up and he walks over and what he whispers in his ear has always stuck with me. He says, it's not the violence that sets a man apart. It's the distance he's willing to go. Wow. And that just, I mean, it hit. Man. You know, I don't care how violent you are. I don't care how rich you are. I don't care how smart you are. I don't care how many people you know. At the end of the day, what's the distance you're willing right. to go? How far are you willing to go to have it? And when you look at the people who are getting on in this life, those are the people who are willing to go the distance. Those are the people that are willing to take on, as you sit up and talked about, the pain, the 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 the, the, the memories, the, the the fears, and everything, and say, "This is who I am. This is what I'm going to become." And whatever my journey dictates in me becoming it, I'm ready to do it. And I tell people all the time: once I decide to do something, there's only two options: I'm going to do it, or I'm going to die. And it's it's it's. When you make up in that mind, because what happens is the what, what so many people run into, and when I deal with people, what I see is you ran into that thing, that one thing that can stop you. You've got to ask yourself when you get started, is there anything that's going to stop me? And if it is, don't even start until you make up in your mind that that thing you think will stop you can't stop you. Yeah. Once you make up in your mind that that's the thing that you're not going to do, then you're willing to go the distance. It's amazing. It's it's all about it's all about the mindset. Yeah, you, you just got to get that mindset aligned with where you want to go. Absolutely, that you know, it's not always you know. Uh, uh, there's as the scripture say, the race isn't to the swift nor to the strong, but the ones who endure until the end. And I think about when I think about it, I think about boxing because it's a one-on-one, mono-on-mono thing. And I think about how many times I saw the more skilled boxer lose. And there's a point where you see it happening. Mm -hmm. And there's this uh, inferior boxer with a heart. And you're going to have to kill him. Or you're going to have to at least beat him up until the last bell mm -hmm. rings because he's not stopping. And there's this point where this more superior boxer feels I've got this. And you can see it in the confidence. He's moving around, dancing around. He's, he's playing, he's mimicking, he's mocking, he's doing all these things. And the, the other guy's just taking the punches and coming, taking the punches and coming. And eventually there's a point roughly in the 12 round match, somewhere around the seventh or the eighth round where the, the more skilled fighter is getting tired and he's realizing no matter what I do to him, he won't go down. Mm -hmm. And now the other guy is coming and he realizes you can't hurt me. 
And that moment when he realizes you can't hurt me, you're in trouble. Because the only thing that has stopped him to that point is you might knock me out. Right. Now that I know you can't knock me out, you're about to get this work. And and you watch the whole thing shift. Now the other guy's just trying to survive the fight because he's ahead on points. Mm -hmm. I'm just trying to get, but you can't run from destiny. Mm -hmm. That's the thing. And so I, I'm going to let you close it out. You know, uh, this was more about possibility than trauma. We we kind of leaned into trauma. We talked about it. Yeah. But there's so much going on. And I don't think there are many of us in the Black community untouched. Oh, by yeah. Definitely not. <laughs> it, it expresses itself in different ways. And we can convince ourselves that it's not present. I mean, it, 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 you could even go as far back as the diaspora. So, like... <laughs> Yeah. It, and that it's it's literally rooted. Um, right. I even I even had a a, um, a dinner a couple of nights ago with some friends, and we had touched a little bit on this as well. As I was stating, a lot of them sat the table, and you know, when you speak about trauma to people, a lot of them will be like, "Oh, my, I had a good childhood. I I, I don't have no trauma." And it's like you think you don't have any trauma. <laughs> But when you, but when we started talking a little bit more, a lot of stuff came out at that at that dinner, and I was like, uh huh. And so when I heard the one of the people uh, people talk, the one that said, oh, I don't, I don't, I, you know, I didn't experience any trauma or anything. But then when that when he touched on a little bit a bit about religion, about what happened when he was in there, and I'm like, okay, see right there, you see how you're you're talking about that and it affected you. That's trauma. Trauma right. doesn't always have to be abuse. Or anything like that. Trauma is something that affected you negatively in life, and it altered the way you thought, the way you moved, um, in a right. negative, you know, in a negative light. Right, in a lasting with a la lasting negative impression. Right. And, yeah, and so yeah, so I'm excited about where we're going with this because the goal of this is exactly what the title of the podcast is: it's ascension. Right. Arise. It's arising into one's true self. It is becoming. I tell people all the time, you don't get what you want in this life. You get who you become. Right. You can want it all day long, but until you become the person capable of producing it, you'll never have it. Exactly. So then what must you do? You must look at yourself and decide what you want to be. And what whatever that is, you can become it. And you must believe it. You have yeah. to believe it. Absolutely. And I'm excited again because, as I always tell you, um, I have to... I, and 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 with respect, I have to actually tone myself when dealing with you because you reflect so much of what's necessary. Oh, thank you. And and I am a man that's passionately in love with the idea of healing our women. Now, uh, the vast majority of my work is in getting our men to where we need to be. But because of how I feel and I see uh, my role in what I'm supposed to be in this thing with our women, that's my thing is to see us do that. And to see so many women working on themselves is important to me because so many don't even realize where behavior comes from. And the one thing I try to teach my brothers is instead of focusing on how she's behaving, ask yourself why. Mm -hmm. Because if you understand why, you can start to work from there. And it creates a natural uh, level of patience in dealing with her that actually she perceives as a form of love. Right. And it's in that that you're able to help heal. So 
the thing is, there's so much more to unpack in so many different areas of human performance uh, that this is going to be a fun journey. Um, you know, I, I do want to say uh, because it's so fresh and mental health is such a major part of my passion, mm -hmm. that my heart uh, goes out to the family and loved ones, especially the wife and children of Stephen Twitch Boss. Who has given us so much uh to enjoy over the years and it's kind of funny because one of my first uh pr clients was millicent johnny who was a second year runner-up on i so you think you can dance mm -hmm. so i'm familiar with him you know just watching uh watching him do what he's done and to to, to traverse all the challenges of being in hollywood mm -hmm what that means and a lot of people look at the glory and the glitz and don't realize what goes on behind the scene right. and we look at the smile of a person and assume that the soul is in agreement and i am going to urge everyone who watches this to check in on your level especially the ones you think are strong right that that they always got it mm -hmm. check on those you know because the ones you, that that don't always got it, letting you know when something wrong with yeah. them, all you. They gonna text you and tell you, hey, hey. the person whose identity is the strong person is more than likely going to feel some kind of way about admitting that they have vulnerability. And those are the people we need to check on, and we need to be aware of signs. And and sad part is we are not going to be able to save everybody. Right. Some people are just to a point where death is better than life in their mindset and you can't convince them otherwise. But for those we can reach, we need to reach. We also need, and, and this is gonna upset some people and then I'll be done and you can you can say what you have to say and we'll close. There's this idea, and I, there's this assumption, especially within the black community and especially among black men, that when a black man takes his life, he's selfish. Um, I am going to say on the front end of that, my response to that is, to me, what's selfish is demanding someone continue to suffer in silence when they don't see an end to the suffering. That's what it takes for a person to take their life, is mm -hmm. that death would actually be better than life mm -hmm. and i don't see an end to it and it's torrent and to sit up and say nope we wanted you here deal with it it's selfish mm -hmm. i'm not saying support them or wish them to be gone but try to go to what it took to get them there because we're not talk we're talking about the most finite thing that could ever take place right and they choosing it and th that's nothing rational or reasonable about that so you've got to ask yourself what and in the search of what, you might be surprised what you find. So that's it. My heart goes out to him. Anything you want to say before we close? Um, no, that's a, that's the same same thing. And I, my heart goes out to the family as well. Um, and and, I, and I've dealt with uh, uh, several people that was in that mental space of wanting to do the same. Um, and I've spoken to to a few. Um, and it, it's hard because like you said, they don't see any way out. And, and, and fortunately enough for myself, I've never been in that mental 
space to where right, right. Um, I, I've ever wanted to do anything like that, um, even coming from the background that I've, I've come from. Um, but a lot of people, there, you know, there's there's levels to this. You know, a lot of people don't have a, uh, the strength that other people have right. mentally, um, and so for people to judge, you know, people who are in that mental space, um, yeah, it's totally wrong. Like I've, I've, like I said, I've spoken to people that have been there, and and I can and I can literally feel their pain. Um, but yeah we definitely need to speak speak more about that as far as in the black community because a lot of this um i think a lot of our people think that you know we've gone through so much we are a strong nation of people and we shouldn't even be there right. <laughs> we should even our mental our mentality shouldn't even be there that's that's a that's another person's problem right. that, that's not our problem that's other people's problem. <laughs> right. We don't do that. Right. We don't we don't even consider don't that. Do that. Yeah. And, and and unfortunately that that's not the case. I, it's definitely been a spike over the last uh, last few years. Uh, the research I've done on it, because again it's something I'm passionate about, is we've seen a 30% spike over the last five years in black suicide. We've seen a 49% spike in black male suicide of ages 14 to 24. We now lead the statistical category in suicide in young black girls, five to 13. Mm -hmm. That is absolutely astronomical, ridiculous and crazy. Mm -hmm. the, it is the result of our current reality. And we have to ask ourselves why, mm -hmm. so that we can come to solutions and we can mitigate uh, those numbers and reduce those numbers. So that's, that's a big fight and goal for me. Well, we're going to get ready to get off here. I want to thank you guys for dropping in and listening to us and uh, definitely share, uh, subscribe uh, and share, share comments and whatever you want to do. And we're going to keep it coming to you. Uh, we're going to work on ways to consistently improve what we're presenting to you. But what you're going to always get from the two of us is depth from our heart and our passion and the belief of what we really care about in this world. On that note, we're out of here. And until next week, you guys right. have an awesome week. Thank you. Quote, unquote, making a statement about a group of people. I think that the outrage that is being shown uh, about these ads from Balian, uh, Balenciaga. was for me um, in radiology. So since I hadn't been to college, I had to do all of my basics and stuff. So I did a year of that. And then I got accepted into the uh, Coleman College.